Hello, I'm Bruce Malcolm, and this is Denise Malcolm. We're proud to share with you this podcast series, Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Malcolm Foundation. Each episode will feature practical insights on how to teach your child safety in our world today. We will help parents and carers understand and navigate the challenging world of child sexual abuse. What child sexual abuse is, the behaviours and signs to be wary of, and how to respond if you are worried about this with children you know. Our host, Walkley Award-winning journalist Nance Haxon, will talk with survivors, parents, leading researchers and professionals working on the front line in this area to give you the tools and resources you need. It's time for difficult conversations on this hidden topic. This podcast talks openly about child abuse, child sexual abuse, child sexual exploitation and harmful sexual behaviours. We are aware the content raised in this podcast series may be triggering by some listeners. There are links in our show notes for organisations that can support you. Please feel free to take a breather when you need it. Today on Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast for the Daniel Morecambe Foundation, we're speaking with former Detective Inspector John Rouse, who served in the Queensland Police Force for almost 40 years and has only recently retired. More than 25 years ago, in 1996, John started investigating crimes against children and in 2001 began working at Task Force Argos, where he implemented Australia's first operation to proactively target internet child sex offenders. Since then, he's overseen multiple national and international investigations into child exploitation criminal networks and has delivered training to law enforcement officers in Australia and around the world. In recognition of his work, John was given the honour of the Queensland State Recipient of the Australian of the Year Awards in 2019. Thanks so much for joining us on this Bright Futures podcast, John. You're most welcome and thank you for having me. This very important topic of how to prevent child sexual abuse, child exploitation, all of the areas that you've got decades of experience in. So really looking forward to hearing your insights here. I suppose to start with, can we ask, is, there, is this something that all of us have a role in preventing? Does everyone have a role here? Yeah, 100%. So, you know, obviously I had a, had a role as a police officer from the law enforcement response uh, capability, both proactively and reactively. But, you know, the the responsibility for keeping kids safe online falls with mums, dads, parents, guardians, carers. It's a responsibility of the government. Uh, It's responsibility of educators, policymakers, and, you know, industry as well, the people that are creating the technology that the kids are using. Everybody has got a part to play. You've been working in this field for decades, as we've mentioned, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who wants to thank you personally for the wonderful work you've done and for the greater good in that time. But can you tell us some of your insights into what you've seen change in those years? I imagine it's a very le- different landscape now to when that started. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's like real to real and vinyl to you know to what we're dealing now with you know with your basically your live streaming and your Apple iTunes and things like that. So when I started, the technology was fourteen four fax modem dial up. Some people will probably remember that old machine kind of sound that it made. The fax, goodness, yep. yes. You know, um, blinding kilobytes per second speed uh, uh, with CRT monitors. Everything was locked down and. You know, the technology that was available for communications was pretty limited. 
for everybody. You know, you had email. Um, you had a few communication channels like Internet Relay Chat and MSN Messenger was just dawning when we started doing our work. But even at that point in time, child sex offenders had leapt at the opportunity to find ways to not only reach out and engage with children, but to form their own networks. That long ago, 1998, 1997. And where we sit now, you know, you've got a technology that is fully mobile. It's, you know, what kids are carrying around now, as they say in NASA, is more powerful than what landed man on the moon. So with that has come just an enormous range of technologies that kids can use to create really funky and creative, you know, content, uh, but enormous risks uh, that we continue to see manifest themselves every single day. So the landscape has changed enormously in the time that I've been doing the work. So how can we all, as you say, we all have responsibility here, how can we mitigate some of those risks? You know, I think the messaging hasn't changed in the time that I've been doing the work. At the end of the day, you've got a bad guy at one end and you've got your child at the other. That hasn't changed. What's changed is the interface that they can communicate on. So our messaging has always been very, very consistent in terms of you know, monitoring the well-being of your child, educating them, taking an interest in the technology that they're using. If you don't understand it, how can you possibly give them any guidance on how to make sure that it's safe? And a lot of the platforms that the kids are using have got technology built into them to help prevent it's not 100%, but at least it's a starting point of protecting your child online. So educate yourself, understand the apps that they're using. I've consistently said stop being their friend and be their parent. In most cases, you've given them the technology, the iPad or the iPhone or whatever device it is that you've, you've provided to them. Take a vested interest in how they're using that. Get them to show you the applications that they're using how about you take a tour through their friends list on Snapchat or Kick or any of the other tools that they're using and prepare yourself to be flawed because I know in some cases in the investigations that we did on Kick, you know, we had children with 90, 100,000 contacts. Truly, that's incredible. I wouldn't have thought it would be in that 100,000. Uh, it's, you know, unfortunately the, the generation of kids that we've got now are, are influenced by a range of things including the generation of influencers a lot of the kids see themselves as wanting to be that. So they measure their, I guess, their self-esteem and their success online by likes and how many people they're connecting with without taking any interest in who they're connecting with or why those people are connecting with them. So it's keeping those communication channels open but also knowing what your child is communicating on, I imagine, because all of these apps have an ability to communicate in some way, really, don't they? Pretty much every single application has got uh, the ability to broaden your networks, to stream video content, uh, to communicate through messaging. All of them have got that functionality built into them. Uh, so, you know, as a mum and dad or, a, or parent carer, you know, you might find that a bit daunting, but the technology really is not that difficult. Create an account, familiarise yourself with it, sit down with your kids, get them to educate you. That might be a good way to get the conversation going. Don't be daunted by it, but you've got to get across it. And if you think that taking the device away from your child is going to be the solution, think again, because they can easily log into their accounts on, on other friends' uh, devices and applications. So the the best message that we, we can consistently put out is 
just monitor their behaviour, understand the technology, work with them. You really would hope that if something bad happens that they would come to you. So that really comes down to the relationship that you've fostered with your child. You know, you don't want them to be scared of coming to tell you that they did something silly because you need to step in and help them. It reminds me of a case when we last spoke, sort of pre-COVID as it was, about an awful case where a university professor that mm. Task Force Argos had captured and just the the methods that were used, because I suppose is it probably worth going through really for parents who don't know how these apps can be used in a malicious way. Mm. How, how can this so quickly be turned from something quite innocent and putting a photo up on Instagram to something far more harmful? Look, it probably is worth a recap because the, uh, the threats changed in that time as well. So a lot of this started with the selfie. You know, going back to 2012, 2013, that was the dawn of all of this. Now, around about 2011, we had probably one of the more high-profile cases where a child took their own life, which is the Amanda Todd case. I'd probably recommend that most people have a look at YouTube and have a look because effectively the suicide note that she produced still is is online. And her mum, Carol Todd, came out to our Gold Coast Conference for Argos this year and she spoke at it and she wants people to look at that message to learn from it. So it's the methodology that child sex offenders use has evolved with the technology that they've got at their disposal. When I, when I was online as a covert back in 2001, I could go online pretending to be a 13, 14-year-old child, uh, engage only in text conversation and send still photos because we had no video capability back then. Uh, and grooming was, you know, they were using grooming technology skills back then, socially engineering children way back then. They're still doing that. The way that they seem to be evolving to at the moment is that they will in the case of the university professor for example he went online pretending to be Justin Bieber a celebrity and he convinced about 157 children globally that he was Justin Bieber he convinced their parents that he was Justin Bieber they were going to get backstage passes and you know all of that kind of thing if they would produce content for him which these children did I won't go into the kind of content for to protect your audience, but it was sexually explicit. It was quite horrendous in many cases. And once he had that content, he then used it against them to get more content. He threatened them that if they did not continue to cooperate with him, that he would send it to every one of their friends online and send it to their school, and these children complied. So that resulted in nearly a 1,000 criminal charges against this individual and about 157 kids globally. That was 2017, six years ago. Where we sit right now, and I would be very surprised if any of your listeners have not been subjected to some kind of a Nigerian scam. Um, Congratulations, you're the sole heir to $1 trillion. Contact me now. Send me $50 to open up your account and we can transfer that kind of rubbish, right? Well, those people that have done those kinds of scams are now uh, weaponizing against children. So the step-by-step guide for how they do it predominantly is kids are not really on Facebook, but they are on applications like Instagram. Predominantly what we're seeing is young boys. So let's take the case of, and I did this just as a test to to see what would happen, Um, young, attractive female golfer who puts herself out there very sexually on Instagram. It's more about her than it is about her golf. I followed her. 
within 15 minutes, I had, I think it was five, somewhere between five and 10 people tried to add me as a friend. Every single one of them was an attractive female account with a lead-in line of, hey, good-looking, you know, follow me for sexy pics and this kind of thing. I reported all of them to Instagram. Apparently, that doesn't breach their terms of, of service. But this is how it starts. So you put yourself in the position of now, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boy following the attractive golfer, pretty girls are befriending you, you engage with them, they follow a preordained grooming script that ultimately gets said boy to send a sexually explicit image of himself. That's the end. From there, the dialogue changes immediately to financial extortion. They don't care about getting more content. They are only focused on money. And these young boys predominantly are complying and they're sending money to make this go away because of the threat. They're very, very, very good at what they do. They've already found out who you are, who your friends are, who your family is, where you are. They've got all of that information to throw back against you to get money from you. And that's all they care about. And they're vicious about it. Uh, In conversations with the Intel and triage team at the Australian Centre to Counter Child Exploitation, which is where I finished up my career, we have lost young boys have taken their lives in Australia as a result of this. Globally, this is going on. So you've seen the evolution from, you know, the university professor who was after sexually explicit content for his own perverse satisfaction to our, I'm not going to say friends, but <laughs> the challenging people that we deal with over in uh, the Ivory Coast and in Nigeria that are now have now weapon, weaponized this methodology to get money from for kids. Money, for, yep. for ex- money exploitation. Yeah. So it, the, the whole message that we were talking about is the same again. And most of the things we've already talked about, understand the technology, watch for changes in your child's behaviour. Really, what sort of changes would Well, would withdrawn, that be? depressed. Um, I don't know if you've got eyes on and visibility on their finances, but be, be very watchful for that. There's mm-hmm. a range of ways in that they're getting, getting kids to send the money, iTunes vouchers, all sorts of things. It's, they're not asking for crypto payments, let me put it that way. Mm. So if you see a change in your child's demeanour, it doesn't necessarily mean this has happened, but, but it's something you better start thinking about uh, because... As I said, tragically, and I mentioned Amanda Todd, uh, children aren't, they're not prepared for this. They don't have the cognitive understanding of how to deal with this. You or I would immediately go, yeah, yeah, stuff you. I'm not going to deal with you. Um, And look, that's the advice that we're giving to. Have no further communications. Capture all of the evidence, okay? Don't, Don't kill your account or anything like that. Do not engage with them any further, right? And report it to the ACE. The ACE website has got a reporting portal for this. Make sure that you report it, okay? Um, so this came, comes back again to what we just mentioned in our chat, was, is the relationship that you have with the child that is under your care is critical. They have to be able to talk to you. And this is in plague proportions globally at the moment. It is certainly one of the biggest challenges that we're facing. It is, uh, it's very important to us because, as I said, we're, we are seeing kids take their own lives. But it, it's, it's stretching a very fine line of law enforcement response capability away from the traditional work that we did into an entire new area. 
It's like it's evolved three or four times in the decades that you've been there and it's totally changed. Look, it has. And the next evolution, I mean, we're facing this right now. The next evolution that we're facing is all of the artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning generated child exploitation material and the techniques that the sex offenders are going to use to use that technology to their own advantage. We're seeing it already. So there's technology that is, exists now to create photorealistic content, uh, and it is photorealistic. In many, in many of the uh, machine-generated images that I've seen, not child exploitation material, but you know, just of people, and it's so real you can't tell the difference in many cases. And that can be used to produce child ex- child exploitation material as well. So that's another area that's changed. I think, again, the last time we spoke, you, you were speaking about how uh, there were scanning uh, programs that you could use for photos to sort of get that digital DNA in a way. Is that still effective or has AI really changed all that? Well, you're heading into an area of, of great um, controversy at the moment, which is th- that's uh, the technology we're talking about there is photo DNA, PDNA, and that goes towards a really great piece of technology that Microsoft developed that allowed responsible technology providers like Meta, Facebook, to examine the screen, uh, the stream of data for child exploitation material. So what I mean by that is if you're using Facebook Messenger to communicate with your friends and you're sending cooking pictures and, you know, your holiday snaps and all of that kind of thing, no problem. It's great. But if you're sending an image that is child exploitation material and the photo DNA detects that it's child exploitation material, it's automatically reported to the National Centre for Missing Children in Washington, D.C. They send these out globally as cyber tips. We get about 30,000 a year in Australia. 99% of those come from industry. About nearly 80% come from Facebook, Meta. So great job. Facebook and Meta, you're acting responsibly, you're moderating the content that is going across your platform and you're reporting it. As soon as they implement a thing called end-to-end encryption, which they are about to do, about 80, 70 to 80% of the cyber tips will disappear. And why are they uh, implementing this encryption? Well, for privacy. Privacy, yeah. Mm. Your privacy is important to us, according to Facebook. Um, it wouldn't have anything to the do with the fact that you know what they employ employ about forty thousand, I believe, trust and safety individuals across the world to help moderate their content. Big cost saving there by offloading that staff base. And I know two friends that I worked with in Meta that have already lost their jobs in that area. Now, maybe if I try to explain it really simply and you can form an assessment yourself as to whether you think this is invading your privacy. I personally don't care that in the background there's this piece of technology that is essentially matching fingerprints. That's all it's looking for. Okay, so billions of bits of data are going across the internet. But if it matches a child abuse image fingerprint with its fingerprint database it automatically reports it. It's not looking at what you're saying. It doesn't care about your cooking photos. That's the intrusion. That's all it's doing. It's not looking at who you're talking to or the context of the conversation unless it detects that you're distributing child abuse material. Now, I don't really have a problem with that personally. I don't consider that to be an invasion of my privacy. I actually consider it to be really good ethical moderation of the platform that they've created. But it makes good business sense 
to stick your head in the sand, which is what they're going to do, turn on this technology. It already exists on WhatsApp, which is a platform that they own. A responsible company would say, if you're concerned about secure communications, use our other platform called WhatsApp. We intend to keep Facebook Messenger moderated because we're concerned about the safety and we're concerned about the well-being of children globally. Now, if I was a CEO, that's what I'd be doing, but I'm not. I'm not Mark Zuckerberg. And remember this too about Facebook. What was Facebook's launch? What was it premised on? The exploitation of women. So we're not on very good moral standing or moral ground from the very outset, are we? Oh, goodness. It sounds like a burgeoning crisis, to be honest. I mean, is it overstating things to say that it's a crisis in the making? Well, you know, ultimately, the cyber tips are one source of law enforcement information and intelligence. It's not everything that we deal with. But it is the technology that unmasked the university professor. Okay? It was a report from them that resulted in that investigation. So that's a case example of how... The technology works and works really well. Look, we'll always adapt and evolve. We've adapted and evolved for the entire time. I'm, you know, I'm out of, I'm now out of that that game, but it's in really good hands. You know, Tarsos Argos has got a new detective inspector, Glenn Donaldson, at the wheel. He and I worked together for four years in handover while I was at, at the ACE at the Australian Centre. The team is in good shape, and they'll continue doing everything that Tarsos Argos has been doing for you know for 22, 23 years. And we will continue to find ways to identify child sex offenders and protect kids. We're not going to give that up. But it's very disappointing when multi-billion dollar companies put profit before the safety of our kids. It's just so disheartening, isn't it, to hear that? But coming back to what us parents and carers and aunties and uncles can do, sounds like it all comes back to, as you're saying, communication getting out of that bubble that we're in where we might go to dinner and the four or five of us are all looking at our mobile phones. We need to start actually talking to each other and finding out what we're, we're doing on these pieces of equipment. Yeah. Well, look, there's a, couple, there's a couple of rules you could probably try to adhere to around just that. Um, and I think I said it quite a few years ago when uh, the QPS media branch put out a com- campaign about if you'd seen what I've seen. And I think myself and about eight staff all... Gave a throwaway line. You know, if if my daughter's twenty eight now, but if I had a teenager, um, all devices would be surrendered on going to bed, because a lot of this is happening in the wee hours. Uh, yes, and in the safety mm. of your own home, this is where this is going on. Mm. So, can you find a legitimate reason why they still need their phone or their technology when they go to their bedroom? I can't. So that that would be a golden rule number one. Um, Number two is, yeah, if you are going out to dinner, all devices in the middle of the table, first person to pick up the device pays the bill. <laughs> and, and try to do that one with your friends too and see how long it lasts, <laughs> or at least they buy a round of drinks anyway. Because you're right, you know, like, I mean, we're losing the ability just to have a conversation. We're all glued, glued to technology. So that's a couple of things that I, I would definitely taking the device off the kids is a good starting point. And charging it even in a, in a central room or so all the devices perhaps in one yep. place. Yeah, and look, you know, there's been a lot of debate about Queensland schools doing this too. Why do they need their phone during the school day? And there's a range of reasons around why people are advocating for removal of the devices, all e- equally important. So I think we need to have a pretty decent discussion about the technology as it's continuing to, continuing to evolve and it will continue to evolve 
you know, there's new technologies coming out all the time. There's haptic suits, there's VR headsets for kids, there's all sorts of things that are happening. And if you don't take an active interest in that, I can assure you that there's plenty of people online that are. Is it important to talk to children about these issues too? I mean, I'm always worried about that balance between letting them know what's out there, but also not scaring them so much they don't want to engage in anything. But yeah. what do you think about that balance? Look, I love technology, and I, I love I love the the new range of you know, Chat GPT and machine learning. I think it's all brilliant evolutions in the evolution of humanity. However, I think it all needs to be moderated and looked at very carefully before it's implemented. Unfortunately, technology has run way ahead of governments and policy. And, you know, Julie Inman from eSafety Commission, for example, she's a big advocate for this prevention by design, which is, you know, before your technology gets launched, it meets all of these criteria that makes it safe. I think the analogy she usually uses is, well, you know, you can't drive a car without a seatbelt, right? There's a whole range of reasons why cars have got... You know, lots of protocols around their safety because it affects everybody on the road. None of that's been done on the internet. It's just the wild, wild web. It's just run ahead and we're trying to play catch up. So regulation is something that I think we're staring, you know, like I'm an advocate for regulation of the internet. The tech providers have made trillions of dollars without really even thinking about the well-being. We're talking about sexual abuse of kids. What about their actual psychological well-being? What about their exposure to pornography at the moment that they can just look at? At flicker of their phone, they're on Pornhub. Because there's no age verification in place at the moment at all. So, And that could be brought in reasonably easily, is my well, understanding. Well, there are solutions in the pipe for age verification, and, and this is really a critical issue for a whole range of other reasons. But, you know... If our 10, 11, 12-year-olds are looking at adult pornography and that normalises what they think sex is, you can see all of the societal damage that's coming from that. That's one thing. You know, the, the TikTok trends that we see that continue to cause children to do incredibly stupid things that, that nearly, and in many cases, have taken their lives. You know, the viral trends that, go, that happen on TikTok. You know, TikTok's algorithm is designed to keep your kid on that phone. Whatever click that they do on a video, the algorithm automatically feeds them similar videos. Facebook is doing it now too, in case you haven't looked at your Facebook video feed. You get five or six thrown at you every single time you log on. All right? Predominantly what I get at the moment is great white sharks, because uh, I must have at some point looked at a shark attack, and now I get all of these shark videos fed to me, um, and a lot of technology things get thrown my way. I'm getting way. a lot of dog videos. Okay. Because we bought a new puppy. So there you go. The algorithm is following and feeding you what you want. TikTok is doing the same. So what if we have children that have got suicidal idealizations? What do you think they're going to get fed on TikTok? Oh, so it's just a continual monitoring, John. But I'm so I am encouraged that you have hope. That, that of course you, there is. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's hope that people will care. Like if you care about the safety of your child and you're listening to this, have that conversation and set some boundaries. You know. Don't just give them the phone as a childminding device while you go and do whatever it is that you're doing. You better be very interested in what they're doing, uh, understand the technology they're using and how to safeguard them and watch for the changes in their behaviour. Thank you so much, John, for giving us your insights in, in, in all these years. Are you going to continue in this important work? Uh, yeah, so um, apparently, you know, over 60 
you're not useful useful to society anymore. Um, <laughs> so I've been led to believe. But no, look, I, I knew with um, with my age retirement coming up, uh, I'm very fortunate not to have identified any health issues at this point. Uh, I haven't lost my passion uh, about this particular issue. So I've started working with uh, Monash University. I took up a role as a professor there in their artificial intelligence labs because this is stuff that I'm very interested in because it's and it's really, really leaping ahead now. I joined uh, ICMEC Australia, the International Centre for Missing Exploited Children Australia. I've been working with them for 18 years in law enforcement training, but ICMEC Australia is now led by Anna Bowden, and I'm working with them. And I recently joined the board of directors at the Daniel Morgan Foundation, which oh, equally, well, equally, I'm you know really looking forward to continuing to work with Bruce and Denise. So, lots of work in prevention yet, and thank you for doing it. Ah, most welcome, I love it. <laughs> and that's the end of this episode of Keeping Kids Safe, a Bright Futures podcast by the Daniel Morgan Foundation. Make sure you go to the links in our show notes for resources and support. Remember, parents and carers, you've got this. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast provider and give us a like on your socials. And if you found this helpful, please share far and wide and rate and review it too so more people can find us. Even if it's just telling a friend about this podcast, that's great. We want to empower as many parents and carers as possible each and every episode. You can support the work of the Daniel Morecambe Foundation by visiting our website and donating or call us for more information on 1300 326 435. Thank you for never forgetting, Daniel. You guys are very much part of the solution. Please complete the survey. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again next episode.